Welcome to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green, where you'll discover actionable strategies to help your student to reach their academic goals, to excel at standardized testing, and to plan for the college admissions process painlessly. And now, here's your host, Dr. Stephen Green. Hello, everybody. Dr. Stephen Green, the success doctor here with another one in the series of Make the Grade podcasts. Our mission in this podcast is to try to give parents and students actionable things that you can do to improve your educational experience, your day-to-day work in school, and your long-term academic goals. My goal always is at the end of every podcast, or maybe even in the middle, you can have something that you can actually put right into work to improve yourself. So today, I have a special guest on. I'm really excited about this. And those of you who've listened to the podcast know when I do bring a guest on, it's always a for very important reason. And today we're going to address finances and uh, specifically finances of trying to afford to pay for college and other forms of higher education. So I have as my guest, Allison Patine, who is a, a, an excellent financial planner specializing in this sort of thing. And she's going to kind of get into the details in a second. So Allison, welcome. Hi, Dr. Stephen Green. How are you doing today? Great. Great. Love doing this. And especially, uh, I like bringing in people like you to share some ideas and, and help the audience and the subscribers. Um, you know, get, get going in the right direction. There's a lot of unknowns out there, and one of the goals is to try to clear them up. So um, why don't we start by kind of just getting right into it. Tell us a little about yourself. Tell us about what's going on in, 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 in your situation. I know we got some legalese stuff we got to get out of the way, so take it away. Sure, no problem. So again, my name is Allison Patton. I'm a CHFC, CLF, uh, college planner with Secure Planning Group. But before I get started on my personal story and how I feel about the marketplace in regards to college planning, just a little quick compliance um, paragraph here to read. So securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC, investment advice offered through Wealthcare Advisory Partners, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Wealthcare Advisory Partners, LLC, and Secure Planning Group, LLC, are separate entities from LPL Financial. Dr. Stephen Green is not affiliated with LPL Financial and Secure Planning Group, LLC. Content in this material is for general information only and not intended for, to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Prior to investing in a 529 plan, investors should consider whether the investors or designated beneficiaries' home state offers any state tax or other state tax benefits such as financial aid, scholarship funds, and protection from creditors that are only available for investments in such states' qualified tuition program. Withdrawals used for qualified expenses are federally tax-free. Tax treatment at the state level may vary. Please consult with your tax advisor before investing. All right. Everybody got that? (laughs) Well, I think it's important, uh, you know, that people do have options, right? And, and they need to understand what they are. And you, you, we want an educated audience, right? We want exactly. Getting correct information at the right time that they can put into place. So let's start, let's start this way. Um, why, why don't you explain maybe how you got into what you're doing now? I, I know you're really passionate about what you do and, and, and you bring a lot to the table. So why don't you kind of just uh, describe the, what, what brought you to this point? Yeah, thanks so much. So, Long story short, I graduated from Gettysburg College in the economic downturn, 2007-2008, and there were no jobs. And I got lucky and got through a friend of a friend and landed a job at the American College, which is higher education in financial services, which a lot of financial planners and tax professionals and estate planning attorneys get their financial information and designations. And I realized over time that people were not really getting educated on the college planning process. 
So ended up leaving the American college and met some other people that were stressing out about their college financial planning situation and kind of reflected on my college planning process at the time going, you know, my parents really don't have a lot of money. Um, my father was in Iraq, Bosnia and Afghanistan during my tenure, tenure in college and my family didn't have any funds <clears throat> in regards to anything set aside for me, uh, 529, UGMA, UGMA, there was nothing set aside. And I remember my parents reflecting and saying that there was no sort of education from the school or any outside education in regards to the college planning process, the financing process, how to get what forms to fill out. And I looked at the market and just saw a huge void in this, in the education piece for parents and for children that were, were going into school and co into college. So a few years ago, I started doing workshops for uh, high schools in the area just to educate parents on the college planning process. Mm -hmm. And then I also met some other um, coaches in the area, division one, two, and three coaches. And at Gettysburg, I was a swimmer. And in high school, I also played water polo. But I also saw a huge void and so many parents asking me and talking about, hey, how do I position my child or how do they position themselves to be the best prospective student athlete that they can be? So in a lot of my presentations, I also bring in a college coach and they talk about the NCAA uh, recruiting pieces and what you need to know as a prospective student athlete in regards to preparing for college as well. So I know that was a long story, Steve, but <laughs> it, it kind of paints the picture and, and I hope you can portray the passion that I have around the college planning process, around being a prospective student athlete and around education. Those are, it's just so important to be educated as a parent and educated as a student on your options and things that you need to be aware of in this college planning process. Well, the undeniable reality, at least in this day and age, and I think it's only going to get more acute, is that college is just very, very expensive, period. Period. Right? Um, and if people, I mean, sometimes it could cost you more to send a child to college than buy a house. Absolutely. And the problem, as I see it, and, you know, in my area, I'm, the big unknown academically with college, typically with people I speak to is what kind of SAT scores or ACT scores do I get or what's a good fit for me, you know, things like that. So th there's a lot of unknowns on all sides of it. So people are bombarded with, with questions that they need answered or, or they, they get mixed answers or conflicting answers. But um, I think the key is people to get the right information early in the process. I mean, look, if a co even, I, I hate to use the word cheap, but an inexpensive college is, is $25,000, $30,000 nowadays. Expensive sure. ones are pushing six figures. That's just not something you can plan for in a year or two years for the typical person, typical family. So wh where would you say, I don't know if I want to call it your target market, but, but where would you think the best place for a family to start to gather this information and, and maybe start to engage in discussion with somebody like you? Where does, where does this begin? Sure. And I, I always joke when I get this question because I always say that you need to start planning for college even before you have a kid just <laughs> because the expense is so large uh, for most families. But when we're talking about general market and general market that needs to hear this information, I even say start as early as seventh grade in regards to starting to prepare yourself as a parent, prepare your student just for all of the things that they are going to encounter uh, in this process. And I'm sure you hear uh, and get questions like that too in regards to the SAT and ACT mm -hmm if a student's not excelling in school uh, like they think they should. Yep. Like, again, you know, starting around seventh grade, and I know for most families out there, they're going, holy smokes, that seems really early. But 
you can never be over prepared for this is how I look at it. And it's great just to get the information early. Well, now, even, even uh, just from the financial piece and the, just the compounding of money, right? The more, the longer time you have to save money, the more money you can save. I mean, sure, sure, just empirically and the interest compounding upon itself. Um, sure. And that's why I make that joke about planning before you even have <laughs> kids, because if the more time you have, the better when it comes to, again, right. yeah, that, that compounding interest, not even talking about a specific product, but just uh, that concept. But again, you know, the earlier, the better general market is uh, seventh grade to 11th grade. Um, and really by 12th grade, you should be rearing to go, ready, ready to, uh, you know, know what school you want to go to, know what schools you've gotten into, and your just general plan by that point. So I know you've told me it's important to look at the big picture, right? Yes. Um, and I think that would include a complete, a total amount of money to save. But what are the, what are the things that parents, I'm going to use parents or guardians, whatever, where, where are they usually having the most questions? What are the things that um, people just don't know or don't understand or maybe don't even know what to ask about, right? Um, I, I, what would you say are the biggest challenges or, or the most pressing needs that people should think about? I think the number one question that I get and I'm sure a lot of parents are out there kind of talking about this amongst themselves is <clears throat> how am I going to pay for this? Right? So if my kid, son or daughter goes to Penn state, you know, we're in Pennsylvania and it's $35,000 a year, how am I going to afford $35,000 a year potentially times four years? right? And that's only one child. If they have more than one child, then that could be, you know, multiple of that. <clears throat> so that's really, if I had to kind of pinpoint it for you, Steve, that's the number one question I get is, how the heck am I going to afford this? So, so number one is just <clears throat> the sheer overwhelm. Sheer overwhelmed feeling. Okay. And unless you have again, going back to the starting before you even have children, mm -hmm. you know, for those families, even sometimes they're overwhelmed because even though they've saved, they're going, holy smokes, it might be more money than I have already put aside. So, and right. that, you kind of go both ways. You have the families that have saved, which is great. And then you have the families that haven't saved. And both of those parties are both overwhelmed. It's just a very overwhelming process for a lot of people. And, and, and you need to balance this with your other financial priorities, right? Absolutely. Like retirement would seem to be obvious. Sure, sure. Because you have, if you think about it, Steve, you're going through this college planning process. And on the other side, you know, as a parent, you're trying to retire in potentially the next, let's call it five, 10, 15 years, which I know might seem uh, far away, but in reality, from a financial planning standpoint, that's kind of yeah. short time frame. Well, if you figure that if a person has a child at 30, right, mm -hmm. they're going to college around when the person's 48 to 50. Sure. sure. You're, you know, plan to retire in another 10, 12, 15 years, 65. I, I don't know if that's still like the magic number with retirement. Um, so you're kind of right in the middle. You're almost right. towards the horizon or whatever, I don't know, whatever the sunset or whatever the term is. Um, so clearly it's important to look at the biggest picture, right? You got present costs, you got future costs. College doesn't go down in price like anything else. Um, it, it, tell, talk about the what the schools are expecting. You know, what are the colleges expecting people to pay? There's definitely aid out there. People do get loans. People do get aid. People do get grants. But explain what the expectation of a college is for a, a contributing family. So what the college is really expecting you to do, in my eyes, Steve, is to just really understand your financial situation. 
mm-hmm. I'm understanding, you know, what you're saying correctly. It's just the colleges are looking at your personal financial situation, right? right? Okay. And they're saying, okay, <clears throat> you know, I'll just call it my family, pet and family. What is the pet and family able to afford, right? So they're going to look at my income. They want to see how much money I've made in the past two years, just so we're aware they're going to be looking two years back at at my tax returns. Mm -hmm. They want to see how much money I have in my bank. Uh, They want to see how much money I have in retirement. They are really going to be doing a deep dive on my financial situation to be able to say, hey, how much can the pet and family really afford to send their son or daughter to school. So what I try to educate people on and what I'm very passionate about <clears throat> is for families to understand their EFC, what's called their expected family contribution. And what that number is and what it encompasses is what the schools expect you to pay, kind of getting back to that very bottom line uh, issue of, hey, what can the pet and family actually afford? So what I try to educate people on is calculating their EFC, expected family contribution. I think that's so crucial for families to understand what they're walking into when it comes to affording college. So again, I I help families kind of understand what the EFC is, Mm -hmm. what's encompassed in that EFC calculation, and then ultimately you know, helping the family calculate what their EFC is, or again, that expected family contribution. So the first thing the family needs to worry about, it sort of technically is this EFC. Then there's this whole alphabet soup of stuff, right? So yes. yes. Then, we got all, then you got a hundred forms, right? So then you got, <laughs> then yeah, what comes yeah. next? And I know about FAFSA. So you want to talk about that? Sure. So the, the FAFSA form is your free application for federal student aid. So again, that's, your federal student aid. Um, I think there's sometimes a little bit of confusion around that form. Um, but again, that's coming from the federal government. It's right in the, right in the, uh, the acronym there. So there shouldn't be any confusion. So basically what happens is from a very high level is that you submit all of your financial information onto this FAFSA form. And I will say to your audience out there that you can – download this form online. I think, again, going back to the kind of unknown, Steve, is that people kind of, in my eyes, don't do their own research. So again, it's go look at what that FAFSA actually entails. You can download it as a PDF and print it out and kind of go through it and say, hey, what is, what are they asking? Don't, don't do it the night before, right? It's kind of like your kids studying and cramming for a test don't, don't complete these forms the night before. Try to be prepared. Try to understand what they're asking for because it is a little bit complex, Steve. You know, it's, if you haven't seen it before and you're filling it out the night before and you're stressed out, right, because you got, you're going through this whole process, you could miss something. You could fill it out incorrectly. So even what I tell my families is print it out fill it out even in pencil or pen. And that way, when you do it on the computer, you're ready to rock and roll. So again, fill out that form. It's free. It's right in that acronym, free application for federal student aid. And I always say to parents, even the ones that say, oh, I'm not going to qualify for anything. I make too much money. You know, that's the one of the number one things that I hear. Why not? It's free. It's only going to take 30 minutes of your time. And, you know, if you don't fill it out, then you have no chance of getting any aid from the federal government. So you might as well just fill it out, right? I mean, take that 30 minutes and fill it out. You got nothing to lose other than 30 minutes of time. Now, is this something you would actually assist a family to do? Or or is there like some regulation, like they're not allowed to have outside help or? So... I don't specifically help people fill this out, but there are companies out there. I do work with some outside companies that will help 
a family kind of go through these forms and make sure they're filling it out correctly. Okay. What I do for my clients and, and the families that I work with is, you know, we'll print the forms out and we'll kind of go over, you know, if they have questions like, Oh, how much is my, in my retirement, how much is in my savings? I'll kind of help explain those terminologies to them on the forms, but I won't specifically, you know, sit down with them on October 1st and, you know, help fill out the forms. Okay. I mean, so basically the colleges have an expected amount of money they would expect you to pay this EFC. Correct. Parents or the families have various mechanisms by which there's a determination of how much money they, they could get or might get. Uh, what what brings it all together? Like like how to how do you kind of make sense out of it? Is it what drives this? Is it the cost of the school and trying to meet that cost? Is it just saving as much money as you can and then kind of worry about it when you have to pay it out? What what at least in your opinion, what what's the primary driver here? Wow, uh, <laughs> or, or is it just I think barely... <laughs> a couple different answers? Um, uh, go ahead. Kind of hard to pinpoint the primary driver. Um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a lot of things, Steve. I mean, you got to look at the whole picture mm-hmm. and understand which schools that you want to go to and also understand if you can actually afford it. Cause maybe, maybe the answer is, Hey, you know, pet and family, here's what we can afford. And it's $10,000 a year. And the schools you want to go to are more than $10,000 a year. And Maybe you need to go to Monco or, or, right. or a community college for a year. So I think there's, there's, there's realities that you just have to be aware of. Um, is there, is there any sort of um, sort of checklist that you or somebody could provide a family where they could say, okay, at, at, when a kid is five, do this check. When a kid is seven, do this check. When they're 13, do this. Is, does something like that exist? Like something actionable that people could, could plug into or something that people could use as a general guide? I mean, hopefully along with talking to or working with a professional like yourself, but to, just to give them an idea of what they're up against. Yeah, Steve, there are some guides on the, I mean, there's a decent amount of guides on the FAFSA site. You know, if you Google financial aid, there's a, there's some checklists that you'll find online. You know, I, I would highly recommend that people go to college board, the college okay. board site. If you just Google college board, you're able to look at all of the colleges and find out the financials of the college. And also, you know, how the, the general information. Yeah. Which, which by the way, is the same site that administers the beloved SAT exam. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> Do uh, let's talk about that for a second. The the SAT ACT, you know, I, I, we don't need to talk about how important they are to getting into college. Um, do they play any role in aid or in financials? I mean, sure, Steve. So what the SAT entails is, you know, if you think about it, the for most schools, the better the SAT score, if that's what the school is looking at, because sometimes now the school's not, some schools don't even look at SATs, but it's, you're putting yourself in a better position, right? So if you get a higher SAT score, you have a better chance from the clients that I've worked with of getting into that particular school. Well, right, right. Right, and there's also a stronger chance of getting what's called merit aid yes merit aid right so sometimes schools will have uh, you know scholarships for a certain sat range or a certain sat score but not all of them will so again i think it's important for parents out there to do their research really 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 important to find out if that particular school that they're applying to has the merit aid, the scholarship for a certain SAT score, certain GPA, you know, sometimes schools will, will look at all of those factors. So again, it's just being prepared as possible, putting yourself in the best light. If you can get a higher SAT score, it's not going to hurt you. 
Mm -hmm. right? I think you would probably agree with me on that. It can't. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I could tell you stories of of (laughs) students I've worked with who've gotten merit aid, and that even varies tremendously school to school, year to year. Absolutely. Um, And there were cutoffs, and if you were slightly below the cutoff, both above it, it might be a $5,000 a year difference. So what it created was a situation where students were continuing to prep and continuing to take SATs, trying to improve their scores. And and when I say SATs, I'm including ACTs as well. Um, Not so much for admissions anymore, which was their original MO when they started doing it, but now they're doing it more from an aid or potential aid standpoint, which is really a new thing, at least in my experience, but you got to do what you got to do. And when you see an opportunity, it's important to take advantage of it. Um, I know you've told me there's a lot of vehicles people can, can use to save for college, right? I guess. Correct. I don't know if, the, I don't know if famous is the right word, but maybe the most, one of the most well-known ones, the 529. Why, why don't you just briefly explain what a 529 is, you know, how an UTMA or whatever might be used. What are some ways people can save? Uh, maybe they already have them. Maybe they're just not taking advantage of them as well as they could. Uh, what are the vehicles available to people? Sure. So from a very high level perspective, um, folks have used a 529, which is a a college savings plan. And there's one for every state. And again, as I read that disclaimer in the beginning, Mm -hmm. again, you want to make sure you consult your tax professional and your financial planner just to make sure of the tax advantages. If, if just you're doing to be it, clear, yes, just yeah. be clear. We are not here to give financial advice. We are here right, to give right. educational advice. Yes. Exactly. But again, people will put money in a 529 and it's specifically meant for college, right? Steve, okay. we're not putting money in a 529 so we can go buy a car for our kids for college. Although that would be great, that's not what that vehicle is meant for. It is specifically meant for tuition room and board for okay. your son or daughter for and, education. And the beauty yeah. of it is the growth of it is tax-free. Yes. The growth right. of it is. Uh, that much I know. Having sent two kids to college, I know. That. <laughs> <laughs> right. So as we talked about compounding interest in the beginning, right. the yeah. earlier that you save in that 529, again, that money is going to compound over time and mm-hmm. You know, you'll have that for specifically for, again, tuition, room, and board for your son or daughter. Um, so that's definitely one vehicle that people use. That's probably the most popular one that we will see out there, that you might see out there, that's kind of in the, the water cooler chat. Yep. There's an UTMA or an UGMA, Uniform Transfer to Minor Account, Uniform Gift to Minor Account. Those have kind of phased out. I see them now with a lot of families that are are coming in and their grandparents or the parents' parents have given some money to the, to the grandchild. Uh, This was kind of something that people started doing again, like, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And I, I don't see that much of them anymore, but basically when the kid becomes age of majority, again, that's different for every state. It could be 18 or 21. Hmm. But people will put aside funds in these accounts when the kid reaches that age of majority, then that kid can do anything they want with the money. So sometimes parents will say, well, my kid might go to a trade school. He might not, he or she might not go to a traditional college, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So people will put money in those types of vehicles. And that way, if their son or daughter does not go to a traditional. So you still have options. They have options, right? Because if you take that money out of a 529 and use it to buy a car, for example, you're going to pay a 10% penalty on that money because you're not using it for tuition room. And so, so there's restrictions, different restrictions or different advantages to each type of vehicle. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So this is all, this is all just goes back to the education and the planning. The more okay, you know, and the earlier you know it, the, the better you can use different things uh, to your advantages. Um, anything else? Anything? So we got, we got 529. That's numbers. That's easy. Atma, <laughs> Agma, 
FOSFA, EFC. Anybody confused yet? No. Yeah, All right. right. Exactly. Exactly. FAFSA, CSS, CFC. <laughs> there's so there's so many uh, acronyms in this college planning world. And if you if you could, in your experience, I'm going to ask you this based on maybe your caseload, and I could probably answer this in mine. But I'm sure. What would you say, in your opinion, is just the, what keeps people up at night? Is it the sheer amount of money? Is it the, how to pay for it? Is it um, just, you know, is it even worth it? I mean, there's people that argue that college isn't worth a quarter million dollars. You're better off just going to work. I mean, I'm not, don't want to get into that per se, but I, I've seen some really well-respected people with that opinion. But is there one thing over and over that your uh, people you're counseling uh, just say, you know, this is just, Allison, this is just the one thing that's killing me or, you know, of all the things bothering me, this is, this is just, you know, really up there on my list. Is there anything that stands out like that from the financial side? Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but it absolutely, it's how am I going to afford it? Just the bottom line. Bottom line, how am I going to afford it? And how am I going to afford it and still retire? Right, Steve? Because that's right. There's only so much, so many buckets you can put money in. Yeah. Or even if they do take student loans, right? Mm -hmm. How am I going to afford to pay back the student loans for the parent and or son or daughter, right? Um, How am I going to afford to pay back the loans and still retire? Because that person might have those loans through retirement. I see it right now. People are in the beginning of that retirement planning process and they're still paying off their son or daughter's student loans yeah. or their own loans. Which, which aren't trivial amounts. They're not like $50 a month. Or no. 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 They can be expensive. So I know there's scholarships out there. There's grants. There's loans. There's work study. I actually had a work study when I was in college, which was quite an experience. <laughs> Me too. Uh, but uh yeah, we can talk about that soon. But the um, talk about them. So we've got sort of self, uh, this may not be the right technical term, but I'm going to call it self-funded aid, right? So in other words, I'm a family, I have children, I'm saving money on my own, and I'm funding programs like A529, correct? Sure. Um, or or, or not, might be funded by myself or a family member. And then there's places you would get aid, like the government or a bank, and then I guess the third category, if I'm defining this correctly, would be scholarships, grants, things that may come from a school or a student could directly uh, obtain somehow on their own, right? So let's talk about that a little bit. Can you explain the difference between a scholarship, a grant, a loan, and a work study? Sure. Or, or if there's a fifth one I'm leaving out, feel free. <laughs> You've got enough no, of them already. But. You kind of hit them all. So scholarships will start there Steve um, offered by the school and again that's completely based on you know the merit of of the student mm-hmm. so that could be for a variety of things you know if they go for athletics you know if, if I if I'm a swimmer and I get an athletic scholarship that could be a certain amount of money to go swim at that particular institution uh, academics yeah. we kind of hit on that already Steve with you know, if the student son or daughter is academically advanced and they are able to get money based on their current academic situation, they, the school could offer them, again, X amount of money. Now, we're not sure exactly of the, the dollar amounts, but it's a, a, mo- a set of money that that son or daughter, that student does not have to pay back. So scholarships, basically the school helping you with no obligation. That's correct. Okay, good. So now we got a scholarship and then we got grants. What's the difference between a scholarship and a grant? Is it the kind of the same? Are they not the same? Not, not the same, Steve. So scholarships are used to assist in payment. So again, I know we kind of hit on that already, but Mm -hmm. I always tell families that, you know, make sure you look at the fine print when it comes to a scholarship, especially especially athletics, um, academics, arts, etc. But 
you know, for example, if your son or daughter stops playing that particular sport. Right. They could lose the scholarship. Right. Or if they're academic, you know, if they need a 4.0 to maintain that scholarship. And they get a 2.6 or something. And now they get a 2.6, right. So you want to make sure you look at the fine. So the scholarship may have some stipulations that have to be maintained year to year or semester to semester. Exactly. Got it. Okay. As opposed to a grant maybe that doesn't have these. Uh, sort of uh, obligations maybe grants do grants look a little bit more on the family financial situation so you know if my family makes thirty thousand dollars a year and Mm -hmm. i'm applying to xyz school they might give me a grant based on my financial my family's financial situation but again you're, I always want to tell people that you're applying for FAFSA and CSS. You're filling out all these financial aid forms every single year. So if my family, the Penton family, makes $30,000 in year one, and I get a bunch of grants in year one based on my financial situation, mm-hmm. and in year two, my family gets a you know, $3 million inheritance, well, then nice. <laughs> that financial situation is going to look a little bit different than my 30000 well, Exactly, yes. And yeah. again, I know that's an extreme, but I think that that's something that people often forget, especially if they are on a commission-type role or what mm-hmm. I would call a 1099-type uh, income. Right, right. In other words, their salary could vary significantly year to year. Oh, sure, I see, right. it. I see it a decent amount. So right. that's definitely something you want to keep. Uh, I, I think the take-home message is that you almost have to re-prove your need every year, right? Yes. Or, or at least maybe not reapply, but like keep your numbers where, where it's going to be favorable as much as possible. Um, where do you? Well, yeah, Steve. So you you want to just be cognizant, especially if your income's changing year to year. Um, you know, I see it with realtors a lot, mm, you know, sales, so, right. you know, their income, they might sell five houses one year and 20 houses the next year and their income could change. So again, just going back to the grants overlying, uh, topic here, again, those are something that are based on your fi- family's financial situation. And if you do receive a grant, you don't have to pay that money back. Okay. That's but nice. again, I would always tell people to look at the fine print, you know, understand what that grant is and just make sure you, again, <laughs> look at the fine print, make sure you understand it and just know that things could change from year to year if your financial situation changes. So let, let's talk about loans for a second because I, I mean, if nothing else, they're an option, of course. Yeah. The, the downside is, the student has to pay them back, which is really not an unfair thing to expect. But the burden of that, there's cases where it's almost crippling financially. I mean, you hear stories, you know, people, they're going to finally get a job and half their salary is going to pay their loans back. And because of that, they can't get credit to buy a car or a house. Uh, It's become a political issue to some degree. I mean, this is an election, not an election year yet, but it seems like there's constantly an election going on somewhere, right? So you've got presidential candidates, uh, part of their platform is is loan forgiveness and loan whatever. And um, where, where does a loan fit in, in your mind? Is it, you do all the other stuff, you get whatever you can, and then you fill in the rest with loans? Does that make sense? Or is that even a strategy? Uh, what, what's your opinion? Where, where, where do you think a loan, what role does a loan potentially play in this whole process for a student or their family? Sure. So I think a loan can help bridge the gap, right? So if you have, for example, a, a, you know, 529 as we already hit on mm-hmm. and you're paying the, the school a chunk out of your 529, but there's still $5,000, that you need to kind of bridge that gap. So maybe the loan's the best option for that. You know, a loan could be the best option, but again, I I would say to your audience that review your options, make sure that a loan works for your whole financial situation. Short term and long term. Short term and long term. Uh, You already hit on it. You know, if this, if this loans at a 
again, I don't know, 10% interest rate, well, maybe that's not the best option. So I urge people, urge is a strong word, but we're at that point now uh, but, to, right. yeah, to, to just understand what that loan entails. I don't think people are, again, going back to this fine print, people aren't reading the fine print when it comes to the loans and they're not understanding how that loan could potentially compound and what their, you know, what their um, monthly amount that they're going to owe is going to be. People don't do just the basic calculation well, of you, thing. You know what I've heard people say to me is, you know, freshman year, we, we took out a loan and whatever, you know, it wasn't that much money. And then sophomore year, we took out a loan and junior year, they didn't, they just don't, not that they don't know, they obviously know they took out the loans. But they look, they look at each one as, as manageable, right? Well, my kid can pay back $190 a month. My kid can pay back $210 a month, whatever it is. Well, all of a sudden, when you multiply that by four years, all of a sudden, you've got a fairly substantial loan repayment. And, you know, some people are just, it's, it's tough. Um, but I guess, I guess if your choice is not being able to go at all because you just can't afford the tuition period, versus taking a loan, at least it's there. Um, but they seem to be just, you know, just one of these, uh, I don't even know what word to use, just just concern, you know, just so, one other thing to worry about, right? You got to save money, you got to worry about paying back loans. But I think what you're saying, which I think is really important for everybody to understand is, you want to do your homework beforehand, right? Uh, that That's correct. I'm interpreting your, what you said correctly is you don't want to just go take loans just because you need money. You want to understand what the terms are, why you need it, why you're doing it, how's it fit in with everything else, and so on and so on. And I think that's really the key, uh, at right. least to me, is, is families and students understanding how all these pieces can fit together and, yes. and ultimately pay for it. Um, let, me, let me ask you a couple things. We're going to wrap this up in a second, but is um, on the back end – is, is there any, um, any way that, that just the whole financial piece is going to change significantly? Because here's the trouble. If I had a baby today, and I definitely don't want a kid in diapers today, <laughs> just for the record, <laughs> I've done that. But, but if I had a baby today, right, or a child today, sure. I'm not sending to college for almost 20 years. Right. So right. it we don't even know what the financial climate's going to be in 20 years. I, I guess you could look at charts and historicals and, you know, whatever the, whatever, 3% a year, whatever, whatever the growth of tuition is. I don't know what outpaces inflation substantially. Um, do you, where, where do you see it? Not, we don't have a crystal ball and I'm not going to hold anybody to this, you know, but do you see this improving? Do you see this getting worse? Do you see this staying the same? Uh, and this really is for younger, you know, family that maybe has a very young child or uh, maybe a kid in first grade and, and you know, they're 10 years out. It, what's it going to look like in 10 years it, based on what you think or, or what you know in being a professional in this field I, for 20 years? <laughs> I think things absolutely have to change. I mean, the student loan debt is just astronomical at this point and people are really really struggling to pay back their loans so many people are defaulting on their loans it's just a it's a travesty actually so so you think that's just going to get worse it's 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 going to get worse before it gets better so something's got to happen okay something's got to happen and uh, you know is is it fair is it a fair question and this is kind of maybe going a little bit off topic, but I think it's an interesting question to ask. What we haven't talked about at all is, is kind of where the college's role is in this, right? I mean, I guess the colleges are free. This is a free market. They could charge a million dollars a year if they wanted to. But is there anything incumbent on a college or a university to just try to make this process more affordable? I mean, I, I don't even know if that's a fair question to ask a school to do, but um, when you have a college tuition that's greater than the average income, annual income of a family, how do they expect people to pay for it? Right. You know, if the average median income of the United States family is $70,000, I have no idea if that's correct, but, and the average college education is $70,000 a year, what's left? You know, how can you pay rent? How can you buy food? How can you 
buy gas. I mean, what do they expect people to do? So is there some point where the schools are just going to have to acquiesce and say, look, we priced ourselves out and, and maybe some rollback or. You know, right. And schools have already cut just to kind of hit on that schools have already started or some have, I know in the Pennsylvania area, Philadelphia area, LaSalle university um, dialed back their tuition. Uh, I think it was a couple years ago. So we've seen it just in our area of tuition starting to pull back a little bit, but then again, is it enough to make a difference though? I mean, did it go from like 71,000 to 68 or, you know, I don't know what Yeah, it was for, for that particular institution, it, it was a pretty significant difference, but then again, I, I'd say the majority, right. That was a minority decision. The majority are still increasing, you know, anywhere from a three to 6% increase every year. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. That, that one was kind of an outlier. So I would say that, um, you know, it's still a problem. Tuition still seems to be going up and something pretty significant is going to have to. I can tell you from an academic side, this is a phenomenon I've observed for, for years is it, when you get a student on the higher end of the academics, right? You know, somebody who could say, I'll say they could go to Harvard. All right. I, that's an extreme, but, but they don't want to pay $70,000 to go there. Right. So instead they say, well, I don't want to go to a top comp, uh, expensive school. Instead, maybe they're going to a state level school, like, like a, a Rutgers or a Penn State or a, a I don't know, University of Florida, or whatever, where they're paying a state level tuition, which might even be half, right? But because they're a strong candidate academically, what it's doing is it's bumping the bubble kids on the bottom academically out. So the economics obviously affects everybody because we have to pay for it. But there's also a secondary effect at the academic level because you're gonna, you get students who are very well qualified for higher, uh, more competitive academic schools, forget the economics for a second, who are not going to them because they're expensive and they're instead going to less expensive schools that are traditionally not as academically challenging to get admittance to. And what it's doing is they're bumping those kids off the bottom if this is making sense. And then they're kind of going to the next level down. So there's that whole ripple effect as well. So not only have colleges gotten very, very expensive, they've also gotten very, very competitive just to get in. So it's almost like a double whammy. You're killing yourself to get into a school. So you have the privilege or honor of paying them your entire salary for that year uh, just to go there. So it, it's it's a tough situation. Let, let's kind of bring this all back around. So, Allison, I really appreciate you being here today. Um, t- let's 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 kind of just wrap this up. And how can people, if they want to, get a hold of you? If they want to get questions answered, I, I know we, we read a very extensive uh, compliance thing in the beginning, but I know you'd be happy, or I, I hope you'd be happy to answer some fundamental people for questions up to the point that you can. But tell me, tell my audience here, how can they get a hold of you? Um, and, and what would they need to do to do that? Sure, Steve. So thank you again for having me on today. It was such a pleasure. For the people that would like to get a hold of me, again, my name is Allison Petten. Uh, it's like petting a dog. So P is in Peter, E-T-T-I-N-E. The best way to reach me is to go on my Secure Planning Group website. Okay. That's securepg.net. So that's, that's the firm you're with. That's the firm I'm with. So securepg.net is really okay. the best way to get a hold of me. And you can go on there and see my bio and uh, see the best way to, to reach out to me. Now, so. we're, we're, Alice and I are both in Pennsylvania. Well, at least most of my listeners know I'm in Pennsylvania. But um, is this, are you limited? Is there a geographic you can only work with people in Pennsylvania? Could you potentially work with somebody all across the country? How does that work? No. In fact, I actually uh, do work with people all over the country. Um, I actually have a bunch of clients and a few clients in Hawaii, uh, clients in Seattle. So definitely not limited to Pennsylvania. As you know, technology makes things a lot easier for us, which is fantastic. Absolutely does. I uh, find it's the same thing with tutoring. I have students in more than half the states and countries. Well, not half the countries, multiple countries. Yeah, uh-huh. it's amazing. Um, let, 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 I'm going to give you the last word here. If you could sum all this up, 
in one or two sentences, what, what should people, what sh- I'm a parent, I got a child, what should I, what do I need to do? What, what action step should I be taking or absolutely think about taking soon or maybe now or maybe even yesterday? What, what, what do you want people to really kind of end with front of mind here? Steve, what I would say is really sit down with somebody and that doesn't have to be me. Obviously that, uh, you know, could be somebody in your area, a professional, you're a professional because somebody knows what they're talking about, right? Somebody who knows what they're talking about and who's going to help you take a look at the whole picture, okay. right? Because there's too many, it's not just college as we've talked about, there's other you know, financial things that most people are working on as a family, right? And for most parents I sit with, they're also, again, we already hit on this, but they're trying to retire Mm -hmm. as well. (laughs) So I am. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Taking a look at the whole picture is so important because it just provides clarity on everything. Um, And, you know, it's the clarity of how much you need to save, so it's pre-education, then how much you're going to spend for education, and then how much you're going to spend potentially post-education and into retirement. So there's, a, there's so many layers, Steve. So what I would say is sit down with somebody who is going to help you take a look at that whole picture and who's going to help mm-hmm. you understand the ins and outs of, of the college planning process. So plan ahead. Plan ahead and get educated. There you go. I like that. That's good. Plan ahead, get educated, which is, we, I could have said the exact same thing with 90% of the academics <laughs> I do and test prep I do. But, you know, life gets in the way. You know, things happen and they don't always go the way you want. All right. Uh, Allison, one last time. Thank you so much. I hope uh, out there in Make the Great Podcast land, this has been really, really helpful for everybody. Again, the take-home message, plan ahead get educated, know your options, talk to somebody who can really help you that knows your situation. We've got an expert on the call here today or on the podcast here today. Um, So Dr. Stephen Green, the success doctor, this has been another episode in the Make the Grade podcast. Appreciate everybody who's our subscribers, who's our listeners. Please share. If you have any kind of commentary, you can find me at makethegrade.net, M-A-K-E-T-H-E-G-R-A-D-E.net or on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and everything else at Make the Grade. Uh, This was another in our series of discussions with professionals in the educational-related areas, and appreciate it. So thank you, and we will connect next time. You've been listening to Make the Grade with the success doctor, Stephen Green. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. For more resources and support, please visit makethegrade.net.